0: I'm Lisa Stone, and you are listening to Season 8 of Parenting Aces. Welcome to the Parenting Aces Podcast, Season 8. I am your host, Lisa Stone, and I'm so glad to have you back with us for this episode. As you are probably well aware by now, the NCAA D1 Championships just concluded down in Orlando, Florida at the USTA National Home of Tennis uh, at Lake Nona and I was there for a couple days of the championships and was so thrilled to get to see the the National Tennis Center for the first time, but also to get to watch the championships take place on a non-college campus and kind of get a feel for what that looked like and felt like for the fans and the players and the coaches. And so in this week's podcast, I talk with Coach Todd Whittem again, and y'all are very familiar with Todd. Todd wasn't at the championships live, but he did watch a lot of the matches, both on Tennis Channel and online. And he offers up some interesting commentary on what he saw. In this episode, he and I chat about the championships and kind of share our insights about what worked, what didn't work, what we as American fans of the game can take away from the championships, what we as a global tennis community can take away from the championships, and I think this is a really interesting conversation. I hope you all enjoy it very much. I want to just remind you, if you haven't become a member of ParentingAces.com yet, you need to take advantage. We've got some amazing discounts, especially on summer camp opportunities for our premium members. And in a lot of cases, the discount more than makes up for the cost of becoming a premium member of Parenting Aces. So please consider joining us if you haven't already. And for those of you who have taken the plunge, I thank you so much for continuing to support Parenting Aces and the work we are trying to do to educate not only tennis parents, but to also bring to light issues and concerns in our sport to those that are in power to make decisions to make things better. So for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of Parenting Aces. Hey, Todd Whittem, thanks for being back on the podcast.
1: Hi, Lisa. Thanks very much for having me on once again.
0: Well, so this time we are talking NCAAs, college tennis, and is it a pathway to professional tennis? So you've got some pretty strong thoughts along those lines. Let's talk
1: about it. Sure. Well, uh, obviously, before our show, we spoke about what we'd like to talk about. So you, you were physically at the NCAA tournament. In Orlando, and and I've been watching uh, a bunch of it at night um, in in my home, so on, on TV. So I would actually like to know you, your initial thoughts. I'm interviewing you now, uh, Lisa, about what you thought. About <laughs> in Orlando. You tell me, and then I'll tell you what I'm seeing on TV.
0: So I came at it from a couple different perspectives, right? Um, you know, I live in Atlanta. Uh, University of Georgia is an hour and 15 minutes door to door for me. And for the last mm, maybe 15, 18 years or so, I went to the NCAAs in Athens whenever it was held at UGA and watched the team event, watched the individual event. It was something we did as a family. It was something my son and I did. My dad would even come in town and go. So, I had, um, you know, pretty strong thoughts about what the NCAA should look and feel like. And when it was announced that this year's event was going to be hosted at Lake Nona, um, I was apprehensive at best. (laughs) Um, Wasn't real excited about the fact that they were moving the championships to a non-college campus setting. I thought that was doing a real disservice to the players and the coaches and the fans and everything. And so I went down there with a little bit of a kind of jaded view about what to expect. And when I got there, I first of all, it was my first trip to Lake Nona to the national campus, and I was absolutely blown away by the facility. It is I mean, it's just incredible. There are a hundred courts there. They built a whole college uh, facility, like a whole section of the campus is set up for college tennis matches. They've got six courts on one side, six courts on another side and a viewing area in between where you can stand in the viewing area and see perfectly both sets of courts. So if there's a men's and a women's team competing simultaneously, you can stand up there and watch. They've got shade, they've got restrooms right there, they've got a um, concession stand built into the facility. Um, underneath, where you access the courts, is all shaded and clean, and there's uh, seating and there's room for the trainers to be set up. And I mean, it's every detail I feel like was thought of. The one thing that I didn't like was the big scoreboard is only visible from courts one through, if you're facing courts one through six, if you're facing courts seven through 12, the scoreboard is behind you. And for somebody at my age with my vision, I had a hard time reading the scoreboard, um, it's big, but the print wasn't big enough for my old eyes. So that was, that was really my only complaint about the, you know, that part of things. Uh, the rest of the facility I thought was amazing. Um, the media room was small, but, but perfectly sized for the needs of this event. Um, You know, I could hear I could see when when they would bring the players and coaches into the media room. And, you know, we were there to interview them. That was really nice. Um, You know, I I thought uh, I, I just I thought it was a beautiful facility. I really missed, though, as I've told you, Todd, that feeling of being on a college campus. And I think there was an energy that was missing and it was sad to me. Um, That said, I have spoken with several of the coaches, and they all loved it. They felt like it was, you know, heads above any other facility they'd been to for a championship. The way the coaches were treated and the players were treated was great. They had, you know, again, the facilities were so amazing, the locker rooms and, you know, the food. And I mean, it it was set up uh, really to cater to the coaches and players from a fan experience, though, I thought something was missing.
1: Well, that was, that was very des- descriptive. definitely. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I
0: try, I try. I,
1: yeah. I mean, I've, I've been to the national campus um, a couple times for, for junior events. It's only about a three hour drive for me. So sometimes I even make that trip in a day. I leave really early in the morning, then come back at night. Um, But um, on TV, it definitely looked like it was a little quiet in the stands. Yeah. So I remember playing my NCAAs in 2003 at the University of Georgia. And especially I played Georgia's number one on the center court there. And the place was packed. Thousands of people. Right. And it was an incredible environment and uh, a lot of fun, obviously, to be playing. And, uh, so that's what, you know, made, made my NCAA is very memorable to, you know, obviously entertain a crowd and compete in front of, uh, so many people that that's the energy and the crowd, just, just incredible. The experience is amazing. Yeah. So that, I didn't that really get to see missing. that on TV. Yeah.
0: it yeah. And it, it wasn't there. I mean, even for the team final, which uh, the men played first on Sunday, followed by the women and the men. It was Wake Forest versus University of Texas. And by now, everybody knows the outcome. So I'm, I'm just going to talk about it. Texas won. And, you know, there were um, there were fans in the stands. I mean, there, but it seemed to me that the people in the stands were either, well, they were somehow either connected to the team or to one of the players. So, like, it was the parents of the players, or, you know, there weren't just a lot of random fans that came to watch the event. Same for the women. Um, University of Georgia played Stanford, and Stanford uh, came out victorious yet again. They are unbelievable. Um, and again, it just wasn't. I've seen the final that doesn't involve a Georgia team at University of Georgia, and you would never know it didn't involve a Georgia team. I mean, the the stands were still packed with fans that traveled to to be with their team and support their team, and I just didn't get that sense uh, at Lake Nona.
1: Right, right. That's that's definitely what it looked like on TV as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. TV, I mean, and, you know, listen, having this on Tennis Channel has been really cool. Um, You know, are there some things that they can do better next year? Absolutely. But to me, you know, it makes me sad to think that because Tennis Channel has set up shop at the national campus that, you know, is is. The national championship only going to be televised when it's hosted at the national campus. And if it goes back to a a college campus, which it is next year, you know, what's the situation going to be? Uh, Will Tennis Channel be willing to bring a remote crew and truck and all of that to broadcast from a campus? I hope the answer is yes. I mean, I think it's great for the kids. They loved you know, having that opportunity and certainly, you know, for the kids whose parents couldn't make the trip to be able to watch their kids on television, uh, if they're in the States, because tennis channels only available in the States, um, you know, was, was really a nice perk. Um, I think the announcing could (laughs) have, could be a little better, um, there was a lot of chatter even during points from the announcers, which was a bit disappointing, you know, after coming back home and watching on TV now, um, you know, I'm realizing how much the announcers are, are talking during the points and between the points. And it's kind of the same old, same old, and it's, it's gotten a little tedious to watch, but um, I've certainly enjoyed, you know, having it on TV, being able to follow the matches that way.
1: All right. I think, I think you're definitely spot on, no doubt about it.
0: (laughs) So let's talk about what you're seeing with your coach's eye in terms of the level of play during the NCAAs, because that's really a more important piece of this, I think in terms of player development and college tennis as a pathway.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Um, Obviously i I'm in junior development and I have uh, some of my college players come back in the summers or during their Christmas break to try to prepare them for their seasons and uh, And so I was definitely watching very closely um, the players on TV and, and and trying to trying to see what they're doing and maybe there's a potential pro career in the future for for some of them and do they have the potential? what would need? you know, maybe some improvements in, in, in their games or mentality or physicality and uh obviously I've I've heard a lot of these players names or I've I've read about them but I've never seen them play. So it was nice to be able to uh be able to uh obviously see see them play and, and uh and try to see uh you know what what I thought of them. Um you know, if we if we go back to, to junior development, where a, a lot of parents are listening to this, I believe that the number one goal for for junior players is to make sure that they're a very produced player before they enter the college arena. What do I mean by that? I mean that technically, mentally, physically, that they're very sound players before they enter college. In my opinion, it's not the college coach's job to be fixing a forehand or teaching a player how to hit a slice backhand or teach them how to serve and volley, those types of things. I think the player should be complete when they go to college. And by by that time, when they enter the door in college tennis, they should be concerned about maybe getting physically stronger, more mentally mature, what else um you know being able to arrange their scheduling you know there, there's no parents around for them so they, they have to be be very good with time management um and so i, I think that you know that the coaches they're expecting players to come through their door being able to win for them right away and 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 so as we all know there's a big influx of farm players coming through the door and farm players that are being recruited by these by these colleges, by by, by the vast majority of, of Division One colleges. And and to me there there's definitely reasons behind that. Um, so like I said it goes back to many years before you enter the door in, into into college tennis.
0: So I want to just ask you a question because this is something I've been thinking about quite a bit uh, since making the trek down to Lake Nona. And that is, you know, when we're watching the NCAA championships, even before this year, when, you know, at the championships, we would have the top 16 teams this year, we only had the top eight. um, That's 16 or eight teams out of hundreds in Division One, right? So
1: yeah.
0: I want to just kind of ask you and and I want to clarify for the listeners that what you're saying today really just applies to getting recruited to, let's say, a top 25 Division One program because the players that are ranked outside the top 50 in the U.S., and I'm talking USTA ranking. I'm not talking about ITF ranking. So I'm saying an American player ranked outside the top 50 USTA. There is a division one spot for that kid. It's just not going to be at a top 25 school.
1: Um. Yeah, per se. I mean, it, it's give or take, you know, it really, really depends. It depends on the coach. It depends how much. That coach wants to invest in in that particular player as well. If he if he he or she wants to really put a lot of time and effort in and is really into developing a player and not more of managing a team and and, you know and is all about wins and losses. So it really depends on the situation.
0: Right. Um, But a top twenty five a top twenty five program
1: they're
0: they're yeah, Yeah. they're relying on these players coming in, as you said you know, ready to go. And, and, you know, I just want to say too, for, for those listening that maybe weren't around when my son was still playing, my son was top 100 in his recruiting class and he played Mm -hmm. division one tennis, but it was not at a top 25 school. Um, you know, the school he played at did not make the championships. They did not win their conference. Um, but it was a great program with a great coach and great players. And, you know, there were a lot of positives. So th- that's what I mean. I mean, so for somebody like that, there is a, div- a spot in Division One. It's just not going to be at one of the schools. Likely it's not going to be at one of the schools that we're seeing at year end in the championships.
1: Yep. yep. That's, that's correct. And, unless they want to be maybe a practice partner or, right. or a walk-on. Uh, on right. That. Right. in yeah. terms of a starter, yes, yes, you're, I, you're correct.
0: Okay, so I interrupted you and I didn't mean to. And you were talking about how, you know, the, the players need to come in as complete players that the coaches don't have time to teach them things like slice backhands and serve in volley. Um, they they need to come in and, and be prepared to work hard to get more physically fit and more mentally mature and fit. Um, and that's... Really, the goal in college, right?
1: I, I agree. Um, a, a lot, a lot of the coaches are per se, you know, uh, un, under quite a bit of pressure to win. So they're they're, they're putting their, their 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 best six players out on on the courts, and um, and so if if they feel like a certain player is not ready to win, then it could be trouble for for that particular player, and. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a business. Their, biz- their business is trying to bring in the best players that they can and for them to win for the program.
0: So as we're recording this episode, Todd, uh, we are at semifinals day of the individual tournament at the NCAAs. The team competition is complete. And uh, tonight the semis will play for men and women, singles and doubles. And then tomorrow is the finals. And then we're done for 2019. So, you've watched a lot of players over the last week and a half or so. What are you seeing with the American players, with the non American players, and with players regardless of their background, you know, where they came from, um, in terms of how many of these kids look like they
1: are complete? Uh, not many, (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm I'm always thinking in terms of the highest level, because there's a lot of discussion that college tennis is a pathway to pro tennis Uh, that in in theory, that that would be fantastic. Now for the listeners that, that are, that, you know, that obviously are listening to us, if there's a hundred men in the world that are considered very special, I believe at the current moment, there's about six or seven men that went to college tennis that are currently top 100 in the world on the ATP tour. And on the girls, I think it's maybe two or three. So you can come up with your own conclusions, whether it's a pathway or not. Can it be? Yes. Do the players entering college tennis, do most of them look at it as a pathway and and, and a way to start their tennis career and become a professional tennis player? I'm not so sure. So it really all depends on, on each individual. Um, so what I've been seeing in, in, in the college arena, and it's, and it's, and it's a, it's the same concern from college coaches that, that have, that, that I've spoken to a tournament or even Pierre has spoken to a tournament, maybe, maybe players that I competed with or trained with, uh, while, while I was on, while I was on the tour is that you're seeing a lot of players that, quite honestly, they, they don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> they're, they're competing very hard. They're fighting. They're positive. But I'm not sure they understand how to be playing the game of tennis. They may be good athletes, but they're not planning and constructing a point very well. And so that, that's okay for amateur tennis. But if you watch an ATP event or a WTA event and you compare it to the college tennis arena, it, that's, those are two totally different things. And so I can tell you, for example, on the men's side, I'm, I'm watching guys just blasting serves and, and blasting forehands all over the place, and I'm sitting watching, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if, if we could find a player that can defend well and can go higher or can throw a slice backhand and, and uh, mix the pace up, this player would be broken down, no problem. And, and, and that's, that's what I'm seeing. So they're, they're not really understanding the game. They, they may be playing with a lot of power. They may be decent athletes. But when you, when you talk about planning a point tactically properly and, and constructing properly during the point and, and hitting certain spots on the court so that, so that the point is, is properly played tactically, a, a lot of these players are, are struggling. No doubt about it. They, 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 they're, they're, they're lacking in, in that big time.
0: So what's interesting to me is the, the players that are seniors this year that I watched play at the NCAAs, um, my son's a senior also. So these are a lot of the players that we've known uh, all through the juniors and have followed. And so I, I chatted with several of them during the NCAAs. And the majority of, well, no, all I think every single one I asked this question of Every single one of these kids is planning to try their hand on the Pro Tour after they finish college. Whether they're playing number one in the lineup for their college team, number six in the lineup for their college team, they are planning to try their hand on the Pro Tour. And I found that so interesting, especially. Given when I was speaking with them, the ITF hadn't backed off this new World Tennis Tour dual ranking thing. So when I was speaking to them, we were still under the structure of this ITF World Tennis Tour where it was next to impossible to even get into entry-level events. So I I just, you know, on the one hand, I'm like, well, good for you that you're going to take this to the next level and see what happens. I think that's awesome. You know, hopefully they had financial backing to, so they would be supported and not have that additional stress as they're trying to make their way. But then another part of me is thinking, how do you really expect you are going to be able to break into the top hundred? And I wouldn't, I would never say that to a kid ever. But, but that's what was going through my mind as I was speaking with some of these players. And, you know, then talking to you, Todd, and hearing your thoughts on this of how different what you're seeing on TV with these college players is from what you're seeing on TV at the pro level, you know, it just kind of reinforces my thought.
1: Every, every case is different, Lisa. Um... I'm always under I always think about whether you have the results to realistically be be a be a high level professional or not. And so like we've said in, in one of the one of the last podcasts is that you go through the steps step by step. Right. Right. You don't you don't skip any steps. So for example, if you are a top eighteen year old in, in your country or in the United States you maybe have potential to be a very top level college player if you're doing really well in your country. And then you, you know, you come to the United States and and, and you play and, and you, you could potentially become a very high level college player. There's also many that have, that, that don't even come close to becoming a very high level college player. Um, and they were tops in, in their country as a, as a junior player. Um, but what I can tell you is that if, if you're not dominating going through the levels, then you're going to hit a roadblock. And, uh, and so if you're the chances of any of these kids becoming a very high level professional without dominating college tennis, it, it, it really, that, that doesn't happen. I mean, it, it, it's actually very simple to me. And I've spoken to other coaches that, that were phenomenal players is that it's pretty simple that, the, the formula um, for becoming a pro tennis player in, in in our opinion, which is basically if you want to turn pro at 18, then you need to be dominating probably the futures or they're now called the transition tour events, dominating. I'm talking winning or finaling basically all the tournaments that you play, which is really a college level. If you're not doing that, then you should go right into college at M- most kids 18 in, or 19 years old. Then when you go through college tennis, you probably have to be one of the top couple in the whole country to realistically make, make a living and a career out of this. And so if you're struggling in college tennis and and you think that you're going to be a flourishing professional player, that's, that's skipping steps. And so I, I don't know. I honestly don't know any player that 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 has done that that hasn't dominated college, and um, that went on to become a phenomenal ATP player. Um,
0: so, and when you say phenomenal, again, let's just make sure we clarify that you mean top hundred.
1: I'm talking, yeah, a top hundred tennis player. Okay, um, where they're playing main draws in, in the Grand Slams and, and playing the biggest tournaments in the world, and you know, every, every single week of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so players that are coming out of college that maybe did not dom- dominate college tennis or weren't the studs on, on, the, on their teams, I consider it, they're going out to try the pro tour. They're not a professional tennis player. I think, you know, th- those are two totally different things. They may be going out there because they, they love tennis still and they want to try the pro tour, which is great. You give it a certain amount of time. Um, you try to achieve what you can achieve, and then, and then you move on to other things. Maybe you go to grad school, law school, get a job, wh- whatever the case shall be. And then there's other players that they have the results where there's potential that they can really make a career out of tennis, and their results have shown that that on paper that there's, that there's potential there. So th- to me, those are two totally different things. Mm-hmm yeah
0: I agree and and that's why I said I mean I would never tell somebody oh my gosh don't go try it because if, if you have the means to go out there and play some of the entry level events and win some matches and maybe get a wild card here or there into a bigger event you know cool do it
1: yeah um, fantastic absolutely yeah. A great experience
0: great way to see yeah. the world great way to meet people um, you know learn absolutely. management skills all of those things So you and I, again, we were talking before we started recording today. Um, We were both watching Tennis Sangren play his final round of qualies for the French Open. And by the time this gets out, um, French Open will be well underway, if not finished. I'm not sure what the schedule is for releasing this conversation. But um, Tennis Sangren played college tennis. He struggled at the futures and challengers level for a long time before yep. having a breakout year, two years ago. Right. And now he's back to playing qualies to get into a major. Um, and he's been out quite a few years. So it was interesting to watch him and I, and I'm not a coach, so I just you know, want to clarify the fact that I am not a coach. I'm not watching with a coach's eye. But even I could tell a difference watching him play versus watching the current NCAA D1 tournament members play. So can you speak to that a little bit? What the differences are when you watch somebody like Tennis Sangren today versus watching the NCAA kids?
1: It's apples and oranges (laughs) to tell you the truth. Um, You know, and, and I'm sitting as we're doing as we're on the show right, right now I'm watching the tennis channel right now and I'm watching these guys play on red clay in Europe and, and so they're not at the French Open qualifying. I watched the last couple of games of tennis sangren and these guys are using their brains to play tennis. They are constructing. And currently I'm watching Taylor Fritz and Benoit Paire at, at an ATP tournament, I believe in France. Right. And they're every time they step up to the line, they're playing with a design play. There's a game plan, their structure. They don't make silly mistakes. They, they, these players would not be here if they were missing routine tennis balls. Um, their concentration levels are, are different. Their their mannerisms, their attitude, um, you know, being positive, the way they carry themselves. There's so many things that make these guys professionals and not amateurs. So to me, it's 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 not it's it's not a comparable. They're, 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 really not a comparable level. Um, so, and, 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 I'll, and I'm not, I'm not bringing down college tennis or amateur tennis. You're just talking about people that are making a living at this game and, and got and, and, and players that are, you know, probably not sure if, if they could make a living at this game and need to get out there and give it three to five years to see how good they are. And so there's a lot of a lot of developing that needs to happen for any of those college players to to potentially play at this level one day. Mm-hmm. You know, one yeah, of the I, things I can I can tell you just from my own example, I was one of them. You know, right. so, you know, I, right. I can tell you all about it.
0: Right, and I mean, you're from a a different generation than what we're seeing today. I mean, not that you're that much older than these guys, but you're enough older that it's a right. different tennis has changed enough that there is a difference. And, you know, a conversation you and I had recently was about your player, Ronnie Homan, who just won the Easter Bowl as he had to come through qualies to win the Easter Bowl, which is one of our country's biggest events. It's one of the world's biggest junior events. And Ronnie's going to play at LSU, and which is awesome. And he's you know, likely going to be their number one player. And so he is going to get to play against the number ones at some of the country's top programs. LSU is not currently considered one of the country's top programs, but it's right there. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, maybe in the top 25, maybe in the top 30, I would say, is that a fair statement for men?
1: Yeah, I believe they got in there. Um what what you know, and and really for for anyone in in, in my program that that's full time that 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 I, that obviously that Pierre and I know inside and out academically and tennis-wise and everything. I deal with all the college placement. So I have a lot of relationships with with a lot of the phenomenal college coaches and programs and so you know, in 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 Ronnie's case, this was by far the best opportunity for him um, other than staying local here, which I would have loved for him to go to the university of Miami, which is only about 45 minutes to an hour away down the street, but there wasn't an opportunity uh, for him to be on that team. Mm-hmm. So the next best option was to go to LSU and play for Andy Brandy. Who's one of the, who's been one of the most well-respected coaches right. for four decades. Pierre and I have a very close relationship with him. And his son, his son just came out to watch me work out with Ronnie for a couple of days to see how we train him and how he responds and, and, and the whole thing. Um, and so it's a rebuilding team. They inherited a program that, that was a mess and it's getting better and better every single year. So for Ronnie, it's a tremendous opportunity for him to come in and, and, and play in one of the best conferences in the whole country. So when when I knew about this and not only that Pierre and I have such a great relationship with 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 Andy and his son Chris that we can come and help them with Ronnie as well whenever we would like and, mm-hmm. and that's rare. Right. right? So so all these things have been put together. His college placement for example was easy because when I knew about this and, and his opportunity I said Ronnie this is what you're doing. There's no questions asked. Here's what you're going to do and, and you're going to go to LSU. I want you to take your recruiting trip. If there's something that really is not is not right or something that you really don't like, then we'll, we'll, we'll have another plan and, and we'll come up maybe with a different school or whatever. He went there. He loved it. He I think he knew a couple of, of guys on the team already. He said, this is where I'm going. I said, do you still want to be a professional tennis player? Absolutely. Okay. Done. Sign. Thank you very much.
0: So, I mean, well, my point in bringing this up, Todd, is So for, for a player like Ronnie, who is, you know, is he number one in the recruiting class right now? I think he is.
1: Yes, he is.
0: Yeah. Um, so for, for somebody like him who has aspirations to play professionally, really the two most important things in terms of college tennis for him and correct me if I'm wrong are the quality of the coach and the ability to play in the number one spot, so that he's going to be competing against the top players in the country.
1: Yeah, and and, and quite honestly, I, I I'm not sure that he's going to come in and play number one. He's going to have to earn it. So it all depends on where his head is at and and physically to see if, if he can be the top dog on the team. Um, but over time, I believe he will be. No no doubt about it. Um, I still think that he's years away from from maybe entering a professional arena in tennis so that that's why he's going to college Um, in terms of his development like I said earlier in the show it is he is a produced player he's had myself and Pierre with him for about four years now monitoring everything so there's not going to need to be any technical improvements and and major stuff worked on. There's always maybe a little tweaking here and there, but it's set. The whole thing is set. He needs mental maturity, physical maturity, and all those amazing matches that that college offers. And then if he is one of the top elite players in the country and has a chance to win NCAAs, now we can talk about professional tennis because the results show it. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's go back to kind of the theme of this conversation, which is, you know, is college tennis a pathway to professional tennis? And kind of the way this all came about is, you know, you and I were talking about what we're seeing at this year's NCAA Division I championships. And if any of the players that we've watched look to have the potential to be top hundred on the professional tour and your thoughts so far was you really haven't seen anybody that could go out today and in the next three to four years be top hundred. Am I stating that correctly? Um,
1: I think, well, I think there's probably a couple, but I think they're going to have to have major improvements in their game. They're going to have to make adjustments. Um, the, obviously the highest level of tennis is a whole different animal. I can tell you from my own experience I could win matches certain ways in junior and college tennis and I and, and in the United States I, I, I was very high level in, in, in juniors and in college um, but when you enter the professional tour that's a whole different animal <laughs> you know you, you're not playing with guys that are, that are fighting for ATP points and, and money. Mm-hmm. It's not uh, that, that's a whole that's a whole different ball game. These players in college tennis, their scholarships will most likely be honored the next year, whether they you know had a nice NCAA tournament or not. Right. So um, you know I made adjustments. I had to work physically you know differently. I had to play differently. I had to get used to different surfaces, tennis, balls, Airplanes every single week, different food, accommodations. Um, there's so many different different variables in in place when when you're traveling week after week worldwide to play tennis. So you have to see how how, how the players really really respond to that.
0: Yeah, I mean something that Craig Signorelli said to my son, you know, several years ago when 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 he went out to train with them was, you know, he, he drew circles on the court and he said, you know, when you're in juniors, you can win a point by hitting the ball in this massive area. When you're in college, you can win a point by hitting the ball within this, you know, slightly smaller area, but to win a point in professional tennis The areas where you can hit the ball in the court and still win the point are so small. (laughs) There are so so few spots on the court that you know keep you on the offensive instead of putting you on the defensive. Uh, It's mind blowing. And so, ever since Craig said that, I've I've watched tennis differently when I've watched at the various levels, and I really did see that, um, when I was down at Lake, Lake Nona, I mean, you know, there were, there were many, many, many points played with the players, each hitting the ball pretty much up the middle of the court and, you know, waiting for the other guy or girl to miss. That doesn't happen in professional tennis.
1: No, you get killed. (laughs) Right. You know, I mean, no, I mean, they, they, they eat you up. Um, yeah, I mean, so, so the way that, the way that I look at the matches are obviously where, where they're placing the ball. Um, are they making errors on routine tennis balls? Um, obviously if a player is stretching or they're struggling to get their racket on the ball, that's one thing. If you're physically at a ball and, and you can take a normal swing and you can set up and you spray that ball, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. right and 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 you see it I mean these are amateur players they're they're not professionals and 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 then on top of it you you see how how well they handle the situations, right can they close out sets? are they choking? are they getting nervous are you know how well are they handling their emotions? You're seeing kids cramping out there that could be hydration plus emotions, right. So right. maybe that particular player struggles with that. You do that on the pro tour, you're, you're, your week is over. You're not winning that match. Right. So the margins are very small on, on a professional scale. Um, and so when you're watching the, these matches, I'm looking at, number one, how well the player is moving because this is a game of speed. It's a game of movement. Number two, I'm looking at the variety of the player. Right. Number three, I'm looking also at how they can construct the point when they can they defend? Can they hit certain spots? Do they understand how to be breaking down the player? And and I can tell you, for example, I think the first day I started watching the tournament, I was watching players hitting little slice serves as second serves into the forehand of, of their opponent. And all I'm thinking to myself is at a high level, you're going to get smoked. Mm hmm. Okay, and I start, and I was seeing it over and over again. Another thing, players were coming into the net, and their approach shots were going to the forehand side. And I can tell you a little story. So, and I've always told my players, unless you can really, really hurt someone to the forehand side, you approach the backhand. Why? <clears throat> because the way technology is now with the strings, these players are so strong physically that all they have to do is flick their wrist. And they can get a ball by you or dip it at your feet, and once that happens, you're you're in big trouble. Okay, when you when you go to someone's backhand side, it's a little bit. It might be more of a solid side, but, but many times they can't hurt you, especially when they're on the defense. And I, and I'll tell you a little story: is that I took Ronnie to go train with Fernando Verdasco, and I've told Ronnie this many times in practice. You know, go to the back and go to the backhand, right? When you're approaching and trying to close off, you know, the net and everything, and the first time. He played, he, he came in against Fernando and he approached the forehand. Fernando opened his mouth and said, what are you doing approaching to my forehand? And I just started laughing. <laughs> I started laughing and I said, it's funny, You know what? You heard it from me, but now you've heard it from, you know, one of the best Spaniards of all time. Right. <laughs> right? So, I love so it. Laughing. Right. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's those great moments that, that you learn and everything, but, you know, I've, I've played at this level, so I understand this. And Ronnie hears me five hours a day, but, so it's good to hear from a, from a, from another voice, but I was, uh-huh. but I was laughing. And yeah. so when I'm watching NCAAs on, on, on TV, I'm watching these guys making some, some very poor tactical decisions. And so if you did that at a very high level of tennis, a professional level, you're going to get eaten up. And, uh, and so I'm seeing kids that are fighting really hard and, you know, they Great team spirit, pumping their fists, good attitudes—like that—that's that, all great. But I'm, but I'm not, I'm not seeing great management of, of 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 their games and and how to be playing proper points and breaking down their opponents. They're they're lacking in in those categories and also hitting proper spots. Many of them are playing very short to to not miss. And and at, at, at a professional level, they're gonna they're gonna get eaten up.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this because there have obviously been many success stories coming out of college tennis and you know, the more recent ones would be, let's say a Mackie McDonald, uh, Danielle Collins um, before them, Stevie Johnson, Nicole Gibbs. Um, So, I mean, we have seen people transition. What happens when these kids leave college To get them ready to be in the top hundred. What has I mean, what do they do to to make that transition work?
1: I I think many of them realize that they have to get better in in certain aspects or there's no pro tennis career. I think I think that's the reality. And and I, I played on tour with John Isner and Kevin Anderson. And I can tell you from example, because I played both of them. I played Kevin. You played him four, in college and
0: professionally?
1: No, I played them professionally. Actually, I played John when he was, I believe, getting out of college. And I played Kevin when he was a professional. Actually, I played him once when he was in college, but I played him probably four, three or four other times when he was already a professional trying to crack into the top 100. Okay. And I can tell you that if there were coaches, there were a couple of coaches that if they didn't nab those guys, they were, actually, they were playing the wrong way and they would have struggled on the professional tour. And they got coaches that taught them the right way for them how to play and be successful on the ATP tour. And they may be able to, and they, they may, they, they were very successful as amateur players in college tennis, but, but professional tennis is, 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 a, is a whole different ball game. And so th- those are, those are great success stories, but they had phenomenal development after college as well. And so, like I said, many of the colleges, they need these players to win. So if these players are winning, everyone's happy, right? Well, mm-hmm. What are you going to change? I mean, everything's going beautifully that, you know, the, the, the university is happy. The coaching is happy. They got to make sure that the other players are winning. And, and that's, that's great. Right. But, it all depends, you know, what, what, you're, what, what you're working on and, and, and the productivity of the workouts so that you're becoming a much better player. Um, I mean, I can tell you, and, and, I, and, I'm, uh, and I have it written down that I'm going to write an art- article for you is that what do players actually need to do, in my opinion, when if they have a chance to be a professional, they're going to college, but they have a chance to be a professional, what do they actually need to do? And in my opinion, They need to be doing probably double of what the rest of the team is doing if they have a Mm -hmm. realistic chance of becoming a professional player. What what do I mean by that? And I can tell you from my experience at University of Miami, and my coach was Jay Berger, who was a top 10 ATP professional player in the late 80s and early 90s, was that I was going privately outside of the team probably an extra hour or two hours every single day that we could obviously under NCAA rules, but every, every day that we could do that, he was putting that time and effort into me. And so a lot of the workouts in college tennis are geared towards the team because it's a team, but individually, are you getting what you need? If it's a real, if you really have a realistic chance of becoming a professional player, that's, that's the key. So for example, if we had practice from one o'clock to three o'clock, the team would leave at three o'clock and I was still there serving buckets and then training with Jay for another hour two hours privately working on specific things. Mm-hmm. Okay. But that's a guy that I had known had a very close relationship with from a very young age. I was placed at UM, uh, right down the street from, from where, from where I, from where I grew up and trained with Pierre. And, and so the whole thing was managed and there were goals and everything. And so my whole career was managed and so when i achieved those goals then, then i moved on but in order to achieve those goals i had to put in that type of work and so you know you got to do extra than than what than what the normal college player is going to do because the normal college player is not looking to be a professional player the vast majority they they they're not going to be successful professional players they're there for different reasons it, you know there, there's a very small percentage of players going into college tennis that can really become successful players. I mean the the the, the stats show it. If there's right. six or seven players on the men's side inside the top hundred that went to college, that means that ninety something percent did not go to college tennis. Right. Can it be a pathway? Yes, but for the vast majority, no, it's not.
0: Well, interestingly, my first day there. Uh, at the NCAAs, I was watching the team final and a gentleman came and sat next to me and we started chatting and it turned out that he was the private coach of one of the players, not (laughs) affiliated with the university, but he was like, you will be for Ronnie. Once Ronnie goes to LSU, right, you will, you and Pierre will continue to be Ronnie's coaches even once he's playing under the Brandies at at LSU. This guy was, was in that role. And we chatted about what that meant. You know, what do you do? I mean, the kids practicing with the team and, you know, he has limited time with the schoolwork and blah, blah, blah. What does it mean that you're there? And I mean, we talked about his role and what he does and, and he was not at the NCAAs to, you know, coach this player in the traditional sense of the word, but you better believe he was there as emotional support for that player. And, you know, he, he had a role there and, um, I don't think he was there as a favor or free of charge, I think you know there was a cost involved in him being he there. Was,
1: he was there to keep developing a player that he brought up yes and, and that and that's a diff that's a whole different ball game. I brought Pierre with me to the two thousand three nCAA championships at Georgia because, in my gut, I knew that not only could he help me and he had guided me through my whole tennis career was that I could take a title, and I wanted that help and support with me there. Mm-hmm. My freshman year, eh, it was a good experience to be there. My sophomore year, it was time to win this tournament. Right. And then I narrowly lost with match points in the semifinals to, to play for a title. So, you know, I had my private coach with me there as well.
0: Right. So, so, so for the, I, I guess the reason I'm sharing that is, you know, we all think that once our kid goes to college, we're done paying for coaching. Right.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: it's, it's, it's all being provided by the university. Now we don't have to pay for that, but, but in some cases, that's not the, that's not the situation in some cases, not all certainly. Um, And not even the majority, I would say a very small minority of cases,
1: very, very small. It's a very, very small percentage of, you know, these players are bringing their, their private coaches, that, that know them inside and out to, to help them, you know, maybe, maybe win a title or go very far those types of things.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember, listen, when Marcus Giron and, and Mackie McDonald were playing for, for UCLA, um, I met their private coach at the UCLA matches, you know, and I mean, they worked out with this guy uh, in their time away from the team, which was, you know, not a lot of time. I mean, they weren't with him, every day by any stretch, but, but that coach was there for them. And, you know, when they had time off school or time away from team practices, that's who they were working with. And, and I just, I, it never occurred to me that that went on. I thought it was really interesting. And so Mm -hmm. to be able to sit next to one of these private coaches at the NCAAs this year was really enlightening. And, and I learned a lot from him and, um, I but, I will be writing about that
1: later. Some of the uh, lessons well, I learned from him. But yeah, I mean, that, that quiet, that maybe quietly or behind the scenes has been going on. I mean, ever since I, I was in college, that, that happened as well. I mean, I didn't need Pierre there with me every single day because he had trained Jay Berger. They, him and his partner brought up Jay Berger. So they knew each other. We all knew each other inside and out. <laughs> you know? right, so, right. So that, that, that wasn't necessary, but, Um, In terms of what I'm doing in my business now, I have two players that could have professional careers, but going through college is that we're placing them in college and we have very close relationships with these college coaches so that these players can still be managed properly so that there's no time wasted and that when they, hopefully when they are ready to enter that professional arena, that they're produced, ready to go, very well managed. The communication with the college coach was very good, smooth transition, and they're ready. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's a beautiful thing because if, for example, if if I, if I don't place a child that that you know that has pro potential, if I don't place them with someone that I really know and really trust, and I tell them, hey, I, hey, you know, th- this one needs to be. You know, can you work on this and that and da 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 And I don't have a close relationship. They're going to be like, yeah, right, Todd. Okay, yeah, goodbye.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, you know, let, let's be honest. They're going to say, I got, you know, Todd wants me to work on this and this and this, but I have eight or nine other players that we're working on this and that. So, yeah, whatever. Right. Right. It's team, it's not individual.
0: Right. So, we asked the question at the beginning of this conversation is college a pathway to the pros? And, it seems to me after speaking with you for the last almost hour that the answer is yes and no. It, it can be if a player goes into college with the right mindset, if the player goes to the right program with the right coach who is committed to helping that player be ready for professional tennis when he or she is done playing at college, at the college level. And so there are opportunities for college tennis to help these players get ready for that next level. But in the majority of cases, that really isn't the case. College tennis is not there except at the tip-top levels for the tip-top players to be a breeding ground for professional tennis. Would you agree with that statement?
1: Yes, you're spot on, 100%. That's correct.
0: Oh, I love when you say that. It makes me feel so good.
1: (laughs) You're very well. (laughs) You've taught me well, coach. (laughs) What what, what you said is, is the truth. Like I said, you go step by step. If you have not dominated college tennis, I'm not sure how you become a very elite professional in the world. Right? It just doesn't happen, right? You know, So, so you know, th- th- these players that, that, that you're seeing, the six or seven on the, on the ATP tour, the, the couple on the women's tour, they have had tremendous results as amateurs to then maybe have an incredible professional tennis career.
0: And yet we still haven't seen a number five. Did Isner ever get in the top five? I don't think he did.
1: Top 10. Top 10. Top 10. So we, Kevin Anderson, I believe got to five. You know, okay. Incredible, very, very good. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. So, I mean, but certainly not a top number one um, that came through college. Not since McEnroe.
1: Yeah. Yep. So that's good. Very very good history. You know, very good. I mean,
0: you know, <laughs> I've been around. I, um, well, Todd, this has been really interesting. I mean, I, you know, I think these kinds of conversations are important to have not necessarily because the parenting aces audience all thinks their kids are going to be top hundred professional tennis players, but I think it's really important to manage expectations in terms of what a child is. Is going to be able to accomplish during their junior tennis years, during their college tennis years, and then after college tennis, what is next? You know, and um, even if your child, like mine, is playing Division One at a lower level of Division One and has zero aspirations to play professionally after college, there's still so much to be gained from the U.S. college tennis system. And it still offers so many wonderful benefits to these kids besides just the X's and O's of, you know, between the lines on a tennis court. And so I don't want to kind of end this on a a downer note. I want to end this on a positive note and still come across as being 100% behind the U.S. college tennis system. 100% 100% behind the benefits to be gained from playing college tennis, whether it's division one, two, three, junior college, NAIA, it doesn't matter what level, if you go into it and understand what there is to learn along the way and really take advantage. So um, yeah, let's let's end well on an, on an up note. How about that?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I you know, I I don't I don't think it's guesswork um, to to know you know wh- whether some of these select players can have a great career. They've gone they've gone over and above the call of duty while they've spent those years in college. So that that's what makes them special, and that's what you know can can pull them into an unbelievable professional tennis career if they do the bare minimum like, like many of the kids will do their practices and their fitness or just what the coach asked them, they could be a very good college player, but you know, being, being an elite player and one of the best in the world is, you know, is is special. It's, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah, for sure. Well,
0: Todd, thanks so much for the chat again. And as always, I, I learn from you every time we do these podcasts and every time we have our early morning text sessions <laughs> while I'm downing my first cup of coffee. Um, Todd and I chat quite a bit and it's usually while he, he's beating up on his kids on the court, he, he'll text me and say, oh, it's 100 degrees already here and they've already done 45 minutes of fitness and it's 630 in the morning. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: You're brutal, but but amazing. And, and I really appreciate you sharing all that with us. So
1: thank you. Anytime, anytime.
0: Well, you uh, know
1: again another fun episode.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you. And to my listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, I hope you'll share the podcast with your tennis community. For all the information you need to navigate the junior and college tennis journey, be sure to check out parentingaces.com.